and we welcome you back into our homes for another episode of the best podcast available. I'm Jason Gibbs alongside Andrew Gribble. We are officially one week away from the 2020 NFL draft. One week from tonight, it is night number one. And it's a big night, a lot on the table. The Browns currently sit at the number 10 pick. We'll see what happens. Gribbs, uh, this is the time of year where we finally turn the corner here. The uniforms have been unveiled, and we'll get to those in just a minute. No schedule yet, but the draft is officially upon us, and it's go time from a draft standpoint and that final player acquisition standpoint uh, in terms of getting guys ready for the season. Yeah, I think the goal was uh, to get get to the point where you could have that new player holding up that jersey, but I think that's going to have to wait uh, here for a little bit. But yeah, I mean, it's we're now getting to the final stage. We're getting some draft rumors about guys maybe falling in the draft, guys rising. You know, it's about time. I mean, I think we've all wrapped our heads around that this is really going to happen next week. And, you know, I, I think that it, it's, it, it'll be exciting because I, I, I sit in this position right now not really knowing what the Browns are going to do at the number 10 pick or if they're even going to make the number 10 pick. Uh, and, that, and I think that's a good part of keeping people guessing. And I also think that the decisions might be driven by what happens ahead of them because there's a lot that can go on in those first nine picks that can affect the Browns' decision at number 10. Yeah, a lot to, a lot to happen here. And, and we've heard some crazy things this week. It will only continue to amp up from a uh, crazy time of the season. But some of the things you're going to start to hear may actually come to fruition and maybe end up being true. I think I can think back to a couple of years ago when we had the number one pick in Baker Mayfield, for example. Yeah, that didn't come really, was it the Wednesday before or the Thursday before where that kind of broke? I think it was Wednesday, late Wednesday, and then Thursday morning, uh, I think it was a Schefter bomb. Yeah, and I think that we don't really have any doubts about that number one pick, so that's why you're not seeing as much. I mean, really, the the guy we've been talking about this whole time is Tua, and that is going to dictate what's going to happen in this draft and what could happen at number 10. I mean, are we, we are now in a more realistic situation where the Browns could be on the clock at number 10 and Tua is still on the board, which would I would imagine would be a situation where the Browns are start taking calls and people are wondering if they need to move up to go get him, a team like the Patriots or someone even further back uh, in the draft. I mean, uh, I don't love that he would still be available because that would mean only two quarterbacks would have been taken at that point and he wouldn't have been one of them. But it, it opens your options for teams that maybe are trying to make a dramatic move up uh, to, to, to get their quarterback of the future. Yeah, I think that that could be some fascinating TV to watch uh, in a night where I think we're going to set some records in terms of most listened to, most watched sporting event in quite some time. And that, of course, being the 2020 NFL Draft coming up on the podcast today. The great Dane Brugler from The Athletic with a seven-round mock out. Uh, we'll talk to him about that. Gribble had a chance to sit down with him and, and go through that and talk about some of the guys whose stock is up, maybe some of the guys whose stock is falling one week out from the NFL draft. In addition, Brad Mellon, our good friend, our co-worker, and the director of equipment operations with the Browns will join us along with Luke Ott, the national sales manager from Ripon Athletic, to talk about the jersey release and the new jerseys and the process that goes into it behind the scenes from an equipment side of things in transitioning uh, everything from the old to the new. So we're looking forward to that. A lot on the table. Let's get to the one piece of news 
that we didn't talk about Gribs earlier in the week, and that is the ESPN NFL Network joint venture. Trey Wingo will host all three days from, from ESPN. Uh, everything will be held in Bristol because they don't have a mandatory stay-at-home order. Uh, Mel Kuyper remotely, Lewis Riddick remotely, Booger McFarlane, Rich Eisen, Daniel Jeremiah, Michael Urban, and Kurt Warner. Those are, that's the crew, along with Susie Colbert conducting the remote player interviews, Morton Schefter, part of the uh, event as well. So a, a joint venture, NFL Network, ESPN, something we've really never seen before, and uh, a star-studded cast as we get ready for the NFL draft. Yeah, it's going to be a test of everyone's respective uh, internet strength and, and making this thing go off. But, but I, I, maybe you can answer this better than I have. I, I, I really haven't watched any TV since the, in this quarantine, like traditional TV. I've not watched sports TV. I've not watched any of that. I'm, I'm on Netflix and whatever it is like that. How are these other studio shows operating right now? Is it, is it just going to be more of the same or is this, will this be different in, in your opinion? Now, I, it's going to have to be different. I mean, it, it's in people's homes, and yeah. you've got to figure out. Uh, Lewis Riddick, I saw a tweet from him the other day, and it had a picture of him working in his study. And he said, there'll be a camera in here, and there'll be lights, and I'll have it all figured out, and we'll be working business as usual. And, you know, I mean, a show like Good Morning Football just got back up and running on the NFL Network uh, this week in terms of – you know, operations wise, they, they needed a few weeks to figure out exactly what they were going to do and how they were going to bring content to people. So I, I would have feel like there are a lot of people that make a lot more money than us. Maybe they make what we make that are in charge of working 24 seven to bring both networks together uh, as one. And it's, it's going to be interesting. I mean, you're going to have the commissioner announcing picks from the ba from his own basement on night one. Um, that some of the GMs we've seen have given us a look into what their war room looks like and having an IT person in their basement ready to go. Um, it, it's something we've never seen before and, and something I don't think we're, we're ever going to forget coming up. Yeah, you know, it's just, it, it really is going to be something that we'll, we'll picture when we see it and we'll never forget it. But, you know, I, I'm just, it'll just be interesting to see because I, I still think the biggest challenge is day three. For them, I mean, they they're, they're, they got to find guys to to fill time to talk about all these picks. I mean, that I think round one that that takes care of itself. You'll you'll get enough people on there to talk about these guys. And these are big name players, but day three is where the, I, I feel like they they've got to be doing all their planning right now. That that's a long long day of coverage. You're digging deep on players most people don't care about, and you're trying to fill five hours of TV. Well, and you can do all the features you want how you're going to keep people locked in and entertained. You have to entertain them. You have to inform them, which is why people are tuning in first and foremost, but you also have to entertain them to keep them and keep your audience. And I, that is a challenge that uh, everybody that's associated with either one of those networks will certainly earn their money next week. No question about it. All right. That's a look at what's going on uh, right now as it pertains to the NFL draft. We know that the Browns will start their virtual off-season program. I believe it's Monday. Gribs, am I correct yep. on that? It sounds like it. It, it. I would love just a peek into what those kind of meetings are, but we've, we've already heard good things about uh, how, how players have felt engaged and, and they're ready to go, it sounds like. 
because they've been, yeah. uh, as I said, they've been bored. I mean, they've, they've, we've been able to work from home all day. I mean, their, their job is to stay in shape and, and read the playbook. That, that, that's a tough thing, way to fill 24 hours in a day. Yeah, no, I, I would totally agree with you on that. It's, it's been interesting to see their reactions to things. You know, Kevin Johnson was just on Cleveland Browns Daily last week. He said, I work out every day for like four hours and I play golf. And he said, I went from shooting basically 120 on 18 holes, and now I'm in the 90s. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, these guys are trying to, to come up with things to keep them occupied, keep their mind fresh. And it, it is definitely a challenge. And, and like you said, I think they're ready to get back to work no matter what form it might be. Yeah. It, it'll, be, it'll be interesting to see how those guys stay engaged. And, you know, we've, we've found all sorts of tricks on how to – be in meetings and doing other things at once. I mean, you can, you can get away with that a little bit when, when you're uh, working from home, but I don't know how they'll keep guys' uh, attention or figure out who's the guy that's falling asleep in meetings or anything like that. All right, Gribbs, before we get to our interview with the great Dane Brugler from The Athletic, looking forward to hearing that. Uh, I want to shout out our marketing department and all those that were involved in Wednesday's uniform unveiling. Some amazing work done across multiple departments having to change things up in terms of the videos that we're going to launch, the photo shoots, everything had to change multiple versions. I don't even know how many meetings Gribble. I, I think you are a permanent meeting member uh, on things. Uh, but I definitely wanted to shout out our crew for all the great things that they uh, they've been able to do here and your thoughts on the uniforms finally out and about for the public to see. I mean, they look great. And we've, we've seen mock-ups in the office, you know, for, for a while now. So there's a lot of anticipation and knowing that fans were going to receive these pretty well, but you know, you mentioned it, it was the full organization. I mean, when you talk about the, the, the ability to launch a, a thing like hats off to our heroes and the amount of time that, that happened, I mean, that took the whole organization, players, coaches included. I mean, because they were helping promote it. Uh, they, were, they were out in front of it. Uh, they've been reading books on YouTube. I mean, these guys have been doing everything. Uh, so it really has brought everyone together for this jersey launch. And like you said, uh, a, lot of, a lot of curveballs thrown into the process uh, at the end. But, you know, that's, that's just, that's the, those are minimal problems compared to what's going on uh, in, in the rest of the world right now. So it, it's just happy we hit the date we wanted to do. And, and I, thought, I think we felt pretty good about how everything kind of came out. And no leaks. More importantly, no leaks. No, I mean, it, it's, that's always a, a positive. I think, the, I think the Falcons had to rush theirs out a little bit. Buccaneers didn't. Uh, so, I mean, it's, it, it's always tough because you've got you've to involve a lot of people with something like this. And like I wrote about, I mean, this is a process that started back in 2017. So there, there's a lot of people uh, involved in these discussions on making a uniform change that would be seemingly as simple as what the Browns did. But uh, there, there's a lot of work that goes into it. All right, and just a reminder as well, for till further notice, the Browns will commit 100% of the team's net proceeds from 2020 Browns jersey sales at First Energy Stadium's Pro Shop in partnership with Legends for a significant period of time. They will commit that as part of the Hats Off to Our Heroes Fund. You can place your order from First Energy Stadium and the Pro Shop by calling them, 440-824-3427, uh, from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. this Saturday and Sunday. Obviously, in-store purchases currently unavailable in adherence to all policies and social distancing practices. 
In addition, partners and fans can contribute directly to the Hats Off to Our Heroes Fund at clevelandbrowns.com slash COVID-19, which also features community resources and information relevant to coronavirus. So make sure you log on, make sure you call the team shop, buy your jersey, the proceeds benefiting that great fund that was set up by the people in our organization and our ownership group. Time now for interview number one on the best podcast available one week out from the 2020 NFL draft. The great Dane Brugler from The Athletic had a chance to sit down with my co-host Andrew Gribble. Have a listen and have a watch. All right, we're joined by Dane Brugler at, from The Athletic. You've got to get his draft guide. It is an absolute beast. It is a must-have during the draft. And first off, Dane, uh, what, is, what is the feeling like when you, you finally get that thing done? Oh, gosh. Uh, it, it's, it takes 10 months to finish. So when you finally put it all together and send it off, it's a great feeling. But it's, it's tough because you don't know when to cut it off because there's always another game you can watch. There's always another player, uh, you know, from Divis Division Three in Iowa that, you know, you just, you know, do I have time to just get this one last guy in there? And so you have to cut it off at some point. And so it's a little, little bit of anxiety doing that. But, uh, no, I feel great about the product, and uh, the feedback's been tremendous. So I'm happy a lot of people have been able to check it out, and hopefully people will continue to do that uh, before next uh, Thursday's draft starts. So we've talked a lot uh, on this podcast about how much life has been different for scouts, GMs, everything during this uh, coronavirus pandemic. How did it change what you usually do in this process and, and the elimination of, of pro days and visits and, and the, the ways you, you would use to project who's going where? Right. And not to make light of the, the situation, but I usually do quarantine myself in the month of March uh, anyways. And so that's something that was not too uncommon for me, except having my three and four year old and uh, my wife, who's a third grade teacher, having everybody at home. So that was definitely an adjustment uh, to everything. But, you know, I know we have it uh, pretty good compared to a lot of people who are, are struggling. Uh, but, you know, it's something that is is very different. And the scouting process, it, a big chunk of it is the tape, and that happens all in the fall. Uh, area scouts are on the road. You know, they're visiting uh, the campuses. They're seeing these guys in practice and in games. That's where a bulk of the scouting is done. But there's no question there is a piece of the scouting puzzle, uh, several pieces that happen uh, this, part, this time of year, the month of March and then into April. And the big part of that, besides just the pro days, are the 30 visits that, you know, each team has – uh, at the opportunity to invite 30 players to their facility. And that's a great opportunity for the coaches, uh, for everybody on staff to get to know the player better, uh, not just as a player, but as a person. Uh, does it fit your culture? Uh, does uh, his football mentality match up with what you're looking for? Uh, it's just more of a one-on-one -on -one interview that's really important when you're trying to figure all these players out. And so uh, from an outside perspective, it also helps when you're trying to do a mock draft and you're trying to figure out, okay, where are these players going? You can kind of see the breadcrumbs uh, with who's inviting who to, you know, the, their 30 visits because you only get 30. So those are, you can't waste them on someone that you're not interested in. Uh, as a smokescreen. So if you uh, use those 30 visits, you're interested in that player. So not having that this year uh, puts some teams at a disadvantage, but you know, all the teams are, you're working under the same parameters. So it's just a different, uh, different process this year that teams are having to work through. 
could this be an empowering moment for some scouts? Because it feels like their evaluations could mean a lot more. Because uh, I, I just don't know how much you can put stock in these FaceTime calls as opposed to the, the actual visits that used to be happening. Yeah, no doubt. And they're, you know, talking to a scout last week or the week before how he he's loving this process because uh, not only is he at home and getting the chance to be with family and just hang out, uh, but it seems like his opinion means a little bit more uh, this time around because uh, of his visits to the campus and, you know, okay, well, you know, I wrote up in my report that the trainer said X, Y, Z. Well, you know, instead of being able to really hash that out with the player, they're revisiting it with the scout and getting a better sense of, you know, what's going on with this injury or, you know, what did the strength coach said about this player's time in the weight room and how much work he puts in behind the scenes. And so there, there's no question scouts, area scouts, uh, they're, they're looking at this a little bit differently because, you know, at the end of the day, the general manager, uh, you know, the directors, uh, the owner, they'll still be making the picks, but in terms of building the board and it's just a little bit of a different process this year that I think uh, scouts are maybe not opposed to because usually in the month of March, they're on the road still, you know, they're visiting pro days and getting times and uh, it could be a very daunting, exhaustive process that uh, this year they don't have to worry about. So earlier this week, you dropped your seven round mock draft and we've talked to others on this podcast about doing seven round mock drafts. Do you have a, a process that you go through on, on getting down to all the way at the bottom or is it really easier because you've, you've been digging into all these low, lower level prospects through the entire process? Well, and I think if you're going to do a seven round mock, you need to do it right and really put a lot of time into it. And honestly, that's when my editors, you know, God bless their hearts, when they were editing the, the, the draft guide, uh, all 250,000 words, um, you know, that was my opportunity to work on the seven round mock. So it took me a couple of weeks and, you know, it was actually ready to go the week before. And then uh, the Texans decided, hey, let's make a trade. Let's, let's, let's add Brandon Cooks. And that kind of screwed things up. And, you know, I, I, I probably said some words I can't repeat and I had to redo it. And it's, it's tough because when you, when you make a change in the second round, there's a domino effect that changes the, everything else. And so um, I reworked it over the weekend and released it. And so it's, it's something where, okay, you know, the Browns, uh, you know, they need a safety or a linebacker. And it's not like I just go to my rankings and say, okay, well, the fourth best linebacker is taken. So here's the fifth best linebacker. You know, you try to really put thought into it. And in the past, that's where the 30 visits and, okay, the Browns had a linebacker coach at Texas Tech. So, okay, Jordan Brooks, maybe there's a connection there. You, you try to follow the breadcrumbs. This year, we don't necessarily have that. You know, we're going off of FaceTimes and things like that and going off of who met who at the combine and uh, trying to follow the fewer breadcrumbs that we have. Uh, so it's a little tougher this year, but still listening to the gossip, listening to the rumors going around, uh, the different draft buzz, uh, that's what's talking, you know, listening to or talking to people in the league and, uh, you know, what different sources are saying. So a little bit different this year, but still trying to match up not only scheme, but culture, uh, understanding what certain teams are looking for following draft trends. And so all of that goes into doing the seven round mock and trying to project all 255 players. Now you've got the Browns at number 10, holding Pat, taking Mekhi Becton, the, the tackle out of Louisville. Uh, in this scenario, you have him as the second tackle off the board behind Tristan Wirfs, but ahead of Jedrick Wills and Andrew Thomas. Kind of a two-parter. One, why, why do you think only one tackle is coming off the board before 10? And two, what makes Becton a better choice than the other two guys? 
Yeah, and it's just kind of how it worked out in this scenario. Uh, the Giants went tackle. Uh, that's who took Tristan Wirfs. And then, uh, you know, with the Panthers, they take Isaiah uh, Simmons. The, the Cardinals, they get that defensive lineman they've been looking for to anchor the defensive line and Derek Brown. Um, and, uh, you know, the Jaguars, uh, you know, they went in a different direction than tackle. So it's just one of those scenarios where that's how it played out. I don't know if that's exactly how it'll happen on draft night, but at least I think there's that scenario where it could. And then I think, you know, and I should say also, I didn't include any trades in this uh, seven-round mock draft. It's, it's tough enough to try and do, uh, you know, keep track of who has which pick, uh, let alone trying to introduce some trades in there. I think I've mentioned this before if the Browns have a choice, I think their preference would be trade, trade back. Uh, even if it's only five or six spots and still get their offensive tackle that they really want, uh, but still pick up a, a day two pick uh, that they can, uh, they can use to draft another area of need. So uh, that what didn't happen in this scenario, stayed pat at number 10 and Mekhi Becton, I think has uh, probably the most potential out of this group, uh, the higher ceiling, uh, because he's just so rare of a player. Uh, you know, when you're almost six, eight, uh, 360 pounds and you move like he does you have that upper body power you can move people in the run game you have the athleticism where you can protect the corner you don't look like you're stressed by speed off the edge uh, he's just a very different player he's going to benefit from the planet theory you know, there's only so many people on this planet that have that size that those movement skills things like that uh, but he also has really good tape he has uh, the versatility to play left tackle right tackle so I would not be surprised if, uh, you know, the, the Browns in that scenario look at Becton as their best option. Now, before I get to the Browns' other picks, you had a couple of, I would say, uh, different opinions than I would say the consensus with, with what people think is going to happen in the top 10 ahead of the Browns. First off, this might be the, the trending story this week about the potential uh, drop of Tua Tagovailoa in the draft. You have Justin Herbert going ahead of him. That's the first one. And then the second one, this – uh, is another riser out there is C.J. Henderson. You've got him going ninth to the Jaguars, which I think most have had him in the middle of the rounds. What, what, how did you shape that top 10 and, and with the way that, that ended up coming out? Yeah, and I, I think when, when I was leaving the combine um, and talking to teams about, okay, well, how, how do his medicals go? Um, I, I received kind of the same responses. It was, they were all you know, cautiously optimistic. Uh, but none of them were like, oh, he nailed it. You know, we're, we're good, perfectly fine. You know, there, there's a level of uncertainty there. Um, and that's where, you know, he might still go five or six or, you know, in that top six range. Uh, there's still a very good chance he could. He could be the second quarterback drafted. Uh, it just comes down to, and I think this will be the storyline of the first round, is Tua and where he ends up. And we just don't know how each team, their comfort level, their appetite for risk, and you know their what their medical uh, uh, staff is saying about to his injuries. Not only his past injuries, but his future uh, potential for injury and how his body is going to hold up. So that's something where each doctor is going to have their own opinion. Each training staff, um, you know, each team, uh, you know, they could receive the same medical info, but then have differing opinions about whether or not he's worth the pick, uh, just based on their appetite for risk. So. Trying to project Tua is just really, really impossible, and it's just really tough at this point. Uh, so, but I still think there's a good chance he goes top six, uh, but it wouldn't be surprising if Herbert goes ahead of uh, Tua, and it just comes down to uh, risk versus reward. And I think Tua is a better player, higher reward, but Herbert has a lot less risk. And so it just comes down to each team and whether they're willing to pull the trigger there. And it, it will be really interesting to see how it plays out, especially if Tua falls out of the top six. If that happens – it's anybody's guess where he falls with a Jacksonville at nine. Would they be interested? You know, Gardner Minshew, they're, they're kind of moving forward with him for a year. 
Uh, and then if he gets past nine, the Raiders at 12, uh, you know, could, uh, could the Patriots be interested at 23? There's so much intrigue with Tua. And especially if it's out of the, gets out of that top six, things will really start to get interesting uh, with where he's going to end up. So, um, you know, I, I think when you look at C.J. Henderson as well, uh, most people believe Jeff Okuda, the top corner, uh, he's the prototype, which you're looking for with the, the size, the length, uh, his ability to cover up and down the field. Uh, there's a lot to like about Jeff Okuda uh, stepping in and competing for a number one corner role on an NFL roster. And C.J. Henderson, he's not too far behind. Uh, you know, my, my main issues with C.J. Henderson is he's not a very good tackler. And, you know, you don't need your corners to be all pro tacklers. You just need them to be reliable. And he's not there at that point yet. And then I just wish you were a better playmaker at the catch point in terms of getting his head turned, finding the football, making plays on the ball. It's something that he doesn't do at a high clip uh, all the time. And so he needs to get better in that area. But still, when you're talking about a 6'1 athlete uh, with his type of athletic skill, those guys don't last long. And so I think you look at Jacksonville. Uh, they need a corner. They need upgrades in, in the secondary. That's an option. I wouldn't be surprised if we see a team like the Falcons trade up, maybe take it, uh, one of these corners. I know the Cowboys love C.J. Henderson at 17. I just don't think he's going to get that far. And I think that's going to be a trend uh, with some of these corners. Uh, even uh, A.J. Terrell from Clemson. We could see him maybe go earlier than some people expect because of the size, the speed, the length. That's what teams are looking for at the position. I think the most intriguing point in the draft that you have with the Browns is in the second round where, where they're at, at number 41 and you have them going with Jeremy Chin, uh, the safety uh, from a smaller school, uh, maybe more of an off the radar guy over a, a guy like Grant Delpit, uh, the Thorpe Award winner, big name, LSU national champion. Kind of walk me through that process. Obviously, they're, you both think they're pretty good if they're going 41-42, but what, 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 what about that drove your decision toward uh, maybe the lesser known uh, but rising Jeremy Chin? Yeah, and I think it probably just comes down to preference, kind of like these tackles. Uh, you know, I don't think there's a clear consensus uh, better guy. It just comes down to, uh, you know, you have to look past the decal. Obviously, you know, you, if all things are equal, you, you probably are leaning towards the LSU player compared to the Southern Illinois player, just because you've seen him do it against top competition week out, uh, week in, week out, where uh, Jeremy Chin at Southern Illinois doesn't necessarily have that playing at the FCS level, but I think some things with Chin that really intrigue teams, uh, first of all, the versatility. Uh, he actually started at corner uh, for uh, a couple games last year as a junior. Uh, so he has uh, that experience where he's a rangy player, can run the alley, but can also drop, be a single high player, can play man coverage. Uh, the 6'3", 220-pound uh, body, you know, he looks the part, and he's been productive. Uh, he had at least three interceptions in each of the last four years. Uh, that he was at Southern Illinois. So a lot to like about Jeremy Chin and how he fits at the next level. Just uh, there's a little bit of projection there because he is coming from a lower level where with Grant Delpit, uh, you know, he does have that big brand uh, on his scouting report coming from the SEC, coming from LSU. But, you know, you look at some of the missed tackles and that's going to be an issue for a lot of teams, uh, especially when, you know, you're, you're the safety, you're the last line of defense on several plays. And if you're not able to make the tackle, the open field tackle, that could lead to points. And so that's going to be a sticking point for a lot of teams. Grant Delpit could still go first round, somewhere in the late first round, just because he does have the cover awareness. He has the range, the size, the ball skills. There's a lot of things to like about Grant Delpit. It's just not not everybody's going to have that first round grade on him because of the, the poor tackling and because of some of the injuries he had this past year. 
Now with the re- remainder of the Browns picks, you hit a lot of positions that uh, I think we've talked about a lot on this podcast because they're positions of need. You've got linebacker, edge, uh, wide receiver, corner, tight end. I mean, you don't have to go over all these guys that you've identified, but what about those position groups make sense for the Browns in the later rounds? And are they getting good value uh, in those rounds with those positions? Yeah, I think so. And I think this, uh, to be honest, I think this draft works out really, really well for, uh, you know, obviously you want to draft for talent, not necessarily need, but I think this draft really plays out fairly well uh, it, when you talk about both need and talent, because if we, they do end up going tackle in the first round, safety in the second round, um, because I think tackle, that's the sweet spot for the, uh, in the first round, uh, the second round sweet spots going to be safety. We're going to see four, maybe five uh, safeties going to second round. And then I think linebacker is a position in, in the third round that I think pre- uh, provides a lot of depth, whether it's Akeem Davis Gaither from App State. I have Jordan Brooks going to the Browns in the third round. He might go earlier than that. He could go in the second round. Um, you know, I think Logan Wilson from Wyoming, one of my personal favorite players in this draft. So I think linebacker provides excellent depth on day two, a lot of different directions they could go. Um, you know, I think the edge rusher position, um, if they want to go add some more depth on the edges, Travis Gibson from Tulsa, the guy that was really productive, uh, performed really well at his pro day, one of the few pro days that actually happened. Uh, they could look at that direction in the third or the fourth round. And if they want to add some more wide receiver depth, uh, you know, I think this is the draft to do it because you're going to have third round receivers going the fourth, fourth round receivers going the fifth, just because of the sheer volume of talent in this class. Uh, it's just, there's not enough spots for them all to go where they should. And so teams looking for value at the position where they don't necessarily have to address the position in the first two, three rounds, but if they want to add quality depth, they can end up getting some pretty pretty interesting values on day three. And I think that's what I have them doing in the fourth round, taking Donovan's, Donovan Peoples-Jones from Michigan, who is a freak athlete, uh, you know, almost 6'2", 215 pounds, uh, ran well, jumped uh, outstanding, 44 and a half inch vert. Uh, there's a lot to like about Peoples-Jones as a talent. Uh, never had a 100-yard receiving game at Michigan, which is obviously a red flag. The production was not there. Uh, but I think there are a lot of factors that go into that. He's still a, a really good talent that in the fourth round, that's the type of guy that you take a chance on. So uh, I, I think on day three, if they want to gamble on a receiver, gamble on a corner, I, I also have them taking John Reed out of Penn State. That would make some sense as well. Uh, a very good undersized, but a, a very good athlete who uh, can play on the outside, play on the inside. So I think the Browns are set up well in this draft. All right, I'm going to end on this because I know we, when we, whenever we ask this question, we're like, who's going to be the Aaron Rodgers of this draft where they're waiting in the green room? Or who's going to sure. be the Brady Quinn? We don't have a green room this year, so we won't have that kind of drama. So I'll, I won't use quarterbacks. Who's going to be the Cleland Farrell of this draft that goes way higher than anyone expects? And then who is going to be the, the Reuben Randall of this draft that just falls way farther than, than anyone would have maybe anticipated? Okay, well, the guy that would go higher, I mean, I think we already talked about him with C.J. Henderson. I, I think, you know, we're, we're not talking enough about him as a top 10 player uh, in this draft. And I think when you look at the cornerback position, uh, it's arguably a top three position on your roster uh, behind quarterback and edge rusher. Uh, some might even argue it's at number two. So if you find an athlete that is one with length, that can run, um, and talking to C.J. Henderson's high school coaches, they said he's a better track athlete in high school than he was even a football player. So there's a lot of ability there. And so I think because of those reasons, C.J. Henderson could be that player that goes a lot higher than people are talking about. And then a player that might drop a little bit 
Uh, you know, I, I think part of this, I think there's a few different answers here. Part of it is the position they play, you know, looking at running back. You know, I think for a lot of, uh, a lot of mock drafts, they have DeAndre Swift really high, Jonathan Taylor really high. It's just hard to find those landing spots in the first round for those backs. And so I think we could see DeAndre Swift fall out of the top 40. Uh, Jonathan uh, Taylor, same type of thing, just because we don't have those, uh, those obvious landing spots. And if we don't have some trade-ups, then that's where I think the backs could suffer a little bit. And for a team looking for a running back in the second round, I think they're going to get some excellent depth at that point. Um, and then I also, I, I'd mentioned um, uh, Javon Kinlaw, the defensive tackle from South Carolina as a player who uh, the talent is there. It just, there seems, you know, there's some medical stuff going on. Uh, it's more potential than production. He only had six tackles for a loss last year. I think most people would argue he could be a top 10 talent in this class and he might end up be when end up being in that top 10 uh, on draft night, or even when we look back at this draft as being maybe one of the top 10 players, but there's still some doubt out there about the medicals, like I said, and you know, the lack of production and is he going to, is he going to reach his ceiling as a player? And so because of that, you know, maybe he does fall uh, outside the top 20 picks or something like that. I think that's, that's definitely a possibility that maybe we're not talking enough about. All right, Dan, we've already got our copies of The Beast. I know our diehard listeners do too, but how do people get their hands on one before the draft? Just be a subscriber to The Athletic. Um, and, you know, if, uh, you know, we've got yearly subscriptions, monthly subscriptions, we've got a free trial going on right now. So um, all you have to do is sign up. And, you know, if, uh, if you like the NFL draft at all, I mean, I promise you won't be disappointed. That's the easiest sell I can make. Uh, it's got everything you want in there. We might not agree on every player. I'm not, not going to peg every player right. That's not my goal. Uh, my goal is just to do the best, most research possible to find to let you know exactly who each player is. And so when the Browns draft a, a player you've never heard of in the sixth round, you can go to the guide, find out exactly everything you need to know about him. Uh, that that's the goal every year with the with the with the draft guide. And so hopefully people uh, check it out, and uh, I think they'll like what they have to see. Thanks again to Dane Brugler. He will join us throughout the week next week. And, of course, we'll recap the draft with us on the best podcast available in the week or two leading or after the 2020 NFL draft. I'm Jason Gibbs alongside Andrew Gribble. Gribbs, your biggest takeaways from Mr. Brugler here today, one week out from the draft. Yeah, I know he didn't project it, but I think he is of the belief that Tua could be on the slide. And for him to have Justin Herbert going ahead of Tua uh, indicates that. And uh, another thing that maybe caught me by surprise a little bit was uh, the, the picking, because uh, we've heard his thoughts on Jedrick Wills before. Him going with Becton over Jedrick Wills kind of surprised me a little bit. And I, I think we truly have no idea how the Browns or any team ranks these four big left tackles in the draft. But uh, an endorsement for Makai Becton, even though I, I believe we've had Dane on before telling us that Wills is his favorite guy in the entire draft. So I'm wondering what he's hearing uh, behind the scenes that makes him think that Wills will go third among the four. The other interesting note that came out in draft circles on Wednesday was Andrew Thomas, his name moving up and him shooting up the board and potentially being the first tackle off the draft, which, uh, which is something that I had not heard prior to today. I don't think you had either. Uh, and I don't know if that's an agent hyping up or a team trying to float that out there, but some interesting things coming out as it uh, relates to Andrew Thomas. Yeah, I would say he's not always the fourth of the four, but he's definitely not usually the first. And he, he definitely slides more towards that third or fourth range in most projections. But again, it's more of a reflection of, you know, what, what people really don't know. And I think in most years, Andrew Thomas would be the number one tackle in the draft. And I, I think he's, he played at Georgia. 
a successful career, looks like a left tackle. I mean, this guy's going to be a good player. So it, it, I, I don't think I would be too, too surprised. It would just show that us people that make mock drafts for five months really don't know what we're talking about. Good news. I will be doing a seven-round mock next week, rumor has it. Oh, yeah. I believe you might be. I believe oh, yeah. Gura will be. Let's just go with that. Yeah. Looking forward to doing that and appreciate Dane Brugler's time on the BPA. Up next, interview number two, Zagura. Speaking of the devil himself, uh, had a chance to sit down with our director of equipment operations, one of the best in the NFL, recognized by his peers as one of the best in the NFL. Brad Mellon with a few minutes uh, on the equipment changeover and the new uniforms. Also joined by Luke Ott, the national sales manager from Ripon Athletic, and that's the company that's producing all of the jerseys that you are trying to order as you watch or listen to this podcast. Some fascinating stuff behind the scenes as it pertains to the uniforms. Have a watch, have a listen. Very happy to be joined now by Brown's equipment manager and former equipment manager of the year in the NFL, Brad Mellon, as well as Luke Ott from Ripon Athletic, which helps work with Nike to make these jerseys. And gentlemen, we know that this has been a long time coming. And Brad, I'll start with you. How happy are you that these uniforms have finally been revealed? I'm, you know, I just, Nathan, first of all, thanks for having me on today. Uh, I just saw that video and I still got goosebumps talking about it. So the energy of trying to hold everything back and, you know, not leak anything to anybody, it's probably the hardest thing to do. Um, <laughs> but I'm excited. I love what these uniforms are all about and I couldn't be happier. Yeah, it's a return to tradition. You look right over your shoulder there. You see the Jim Brown that you have framed with those stripes on the shoulder. Exactly what you see on the Odell Beckham behind me. And Luke, I'll just kind of ask you, when you kind of go through this process, what was the thing that, you know, you guys wanted to really help capture for the Browns? I guess when we went through it uh, with the help of uh, with Nike's direction is they just wanted to bring it back to the, the good old days of the Cleveland Browns, make it a little more scaled down, more simplified and um, not as crazy as what they had the last couple of years. Absolutely. And look, when you're an iconic franchise, an iconic brand, you want to kind of, you want everybody to look at and say, yep, those are the Cleveland Browns. And you certainly, you, you've got that with these uniforms. I'll ask both of you, start with you, Brad. What's your favorite uh, attribute on, on the new uniforms? It could be anything, but what really jumped out to you that you really liked? I just like, I like the striping. I like going back to the striped socks, the, the striping patterns that we've had in the past. Um, and really, it's just paying tribute and, and to all the past players, you know, not to mention we're going to be moving forward, but the past players, you know, and seeing what they have worn. Obviously, we're not into the uh, three-quarter length sleeve like we used to be back in the day, <laughs> but um, it's just I, I get goosebumps. Like I said before, I get goosebumps talking about it. I love it. Absolutely. And Luke, for you, what's your favorite uh, part of these new uniforms? I guess uh, from our from our standpoint, the simplicity of it, whereas the last couple of years, the construction part, I know it's odd to say, but the construction part of this New Jersey or going back to the old days when it was with others, um, it's much easier to process. It's it's easier for us to do and to produce for, for Brad and get there in a timely manner. 
And Brad, for you, I know that with the last uniforms, at least initially, when you have that, that multi-layered uniform in terms of the numbers, it can be tough to maybe get these things over pads. I know that was a little bit of an issue. From an equipment manager standpoint, these have to be right up your alley. No must, no fuss should be simple to help the guys be able to get fitted the way they need to to perform on Sundays. Yeah, and this new uh, uniform system we're in, which is called the Vapor Untouchable, um, that makes it a lot easier, too, to get on the players. But to get away from that hard number that we had in the past, it actually did take away from the elasticity of the jersey. Going back to we have all the stretch that we need, and I, I don't think people really understand how tight these jerseys are on some of these players that we spend like 20 minutes before the game, you know, hooking all these players up and probably helping 30-plus players get into their shoulder pads with the jersey on. So it's made it much easier, and I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, that'll be good. Any behind-the-scenes details or anything, you know, that you could share with our listeners and our viewers here about these uniforms or what went into getting to this awesome final product? It, it goes back to uh, the simplicity of, of, you know, screen printing the stripes on the sleeves like it was back in the day. The, uh, the last couple of years, the jersey has had sublimation, which was sort of new to the um, uniform market and made it a little difficult for our production ladies and production crew to make sure all the stripes lined up and the stitching was good. So from that standpoint, it's, it's unique. Um, it just really cuts down on the time for us to produce it and makes it a little easier. Actually, it's, we probably had a couple of jerseys in the past where we had to redo them because things weren't lined up the, the appropriate way. It's like a two year process. So it's, it's going back, you know, where ownership and then our, I call it the team management has to place a, um, a request in with the NFL two years prior to this year. So to, back in 2018, they come up with a vision, they do their thing. And then once they share the vision with us, and then once they, you know, have everything placed and in, in, in set in, in stone and what they want to do, then the first productions of the jerseys come out and we'll meet with, with the team management um, down in our equipment room, go over things that we, we like, things we don't like, kind of like what Luke was talking about. Um, we did try the knit sleeve and we just felt the screen print sleeve was uh, the way to go. So yeah. there's a few meetings back and forth, but I think the hardest thing is just keep them quiet. Absolutely. That, that's tough. And it, it worked, you know, because even the ones that were quote unquote leaked out there that you saw were old designs. For example, on the color rush still had Cleveland over the number, which we know on the new color rush, there's nothing. I call them the brownouts. I love those. I think guys are going to look fast in those. They're going to look sleek in those. Uh, what did you think of those new color rushes where it really is kind of monochromatic, just the numbers around there. And I think they're, I love those ones. No, I loved them last year too. And it was a great job by management to uh, allow us to uh, work with the NFL and wear those all last year. I mean, players love them, um, yep. but they're going to love all three of these going forward now. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, I can't help but notice also, Brad, you're wearing the new draft hat uh, in a collaboration, obviously, with New Era. What do you think of these new draft hats bringing back the elf, which everybody loves Browning the elf, and, and those things look sharp? Yeah, they do. Um, Brownie the Elf, I'm, I'm so happy he is back and he's involved, going to be seeing some of that stuff on the sideline. But New Era did a great job. I think it's probably one of the best draft hats they've made up, the 940. It's a stretch snapback, and they also have the fitted, um, as well as the fitted look with a snapback as well. So, no, I, I love them. And I'll make sure you get one, too, when I get back in the office. <laughs> Yes, sign me up. I'm looking forward to getting that thing, uh, getting that on the old noodle here. We listen when we go, we go out now in our few times we get to go out of the house, walk around the neighborhood. You want someone to protect you, know, protect you from the sun. Hopefully, the sun will come to Cleveland. It'll return, and that would pat 
nothing looks better than that one there. Uh, Luke, in all your time with dealing with jerseys and anything, have you heard of anybody doing what the Browns are doing in terms of, you know, donating all of the proceeds that they get from the sales of these new uniforms to COVID-19 relief? No, I, I'm not aware. Um, I haven't talked to all the other equipment managers, but I am not aware of anybody out, but that's outstanding. Um, I'm sure there's a lot of Browns fans that would support that and probably even pay a little higher price just because of where the, where the money might, where the money's going. Absolutely. It's a great cause. And Brad, I know you worked for this organization for a long time and you know how dedicated they are to the community to see something like that is, is, is pretty awesome. No, the Haslam's are very generous and um, what they've done with the donation of these jerseys for such a horrible cause. And while we're talking about a quick shout out to all the first responders, we can't thank you, you guys enough for what you've done. Um, this horrible disease, but or a horrible virus, I should say. But what they, the Haslam's and this organization have done is outstanding. It is, and it's great to be a part of it. And you know what? It goes back to the tradition, and I think that's what we did today. The Browns back to their roots, back to the tradition of these great, iconic uniforms. And there's a reason, Luke, you know this. There's a reason you don't see teams like the Packers and the Bears and the Steelers even changing their uniforms a lot. Those are the looks that they're synonymous with. The Browns got away from that a little bit, and I think is one of the old Brown, one of the old teams, one of the classic original football teams to go back to that look really is a powerful statement. For that video, Nathan, what I really liked was the words that they used, like true to our past, true to our fans, and then true to what we truly are is the Cleveland Browns. And Absolutely. Awesome. It's exciting. It's exciting. And now look, we all like uniforms. We all like jerseys. We love all this stuff, but we want to see our wins. And hopefully they will be able to do that. And you talked about your draft hat. Part of that, obviously, a big piece is the draft. These guys, when they get drafted, they're going to receive that draft hat as well as one of these new uniforms. And that should be a pretty exciting thing. It's going to be very exciting. You know, this has been a, a great day, followed up by the draft next week, which um, that whole team is going to do a phenomenal job. And I'm, I'm, I'm getting nervous. Too. I want to get back in. I want to get these jerseys made up. And look, you know, you're going to have to help me do this now. I know. We know. We know. Yeah, what are the challenges with that? I mean, look, unfortunately, game play is a little bit of a ways off, but I would imagine this has presented some unique challenges in terms of because, you know, there are a lot of teams that are releasing new uniforms. And I remember talking to you, Brad, a year ago about how long it took just to get those color rushes put together. You know, what are those challenges something that, you know, obviously everybody's facing challenges, but how are, has that kind of affected this process relative to, you know, getting these things rolled out because you have so many teams with new looks? Well, I think the main thing is the, the, the other gentleman on the, on the line, Luke, is does – Luke, correct me, I don't know how many teams you actually work with, but he is going to be responsible for really doing all our brown jerseys completed. And all these aren't going to come in blank like they usually do because normally we have our seamstress, uh, Becky yeah. Zelensky, who does a great job in the sewing room. But with us being away, we'd be producing these as soon as we start getting them in now. But without being able to be in the facility, I've got to lean on Luke to get everything done. And so he's probably going to do all 180 because every player has a backup jersey. Yep. So once we get into training camp, all players are going to, we're going to have two jerseys of white per player, two jerseys for brown. That's 360 jerseys right there. And uh, he's going to be busy. Yes, Luke. Well, Luke, good luck to you. And certainly we appreciate the efforts in terms of getting all that done for everybody here in these challenging times. Guys, I want to thank you so much for taking time out of your, your busy days to be with us here uh, and to talk about the new Browns uniforms. Uh, Luke, best wishes to you and your family. Everybody stay safe. Brad, can't wait to see you in person again. Uh, you and your family stay safe as well. But thanks so much for taking some time and shedding some insight on what I think is a pretty cool day to, to be a part of the Browns organization and to be a Browns fan.
Great day to be a Brown. Thanks, Nathan, for having us. All right. We want to thank both guys for joining Nathan Zagura today on the best podcast available. Brad Mellon, of course, our director of equipment operations. Also, Luke Ott, the national sales manager from Ripon Athletic for his time as well. And again, you can catch this podcast or any of the podcasts we've had leading up to the 2020 NFL Draft by logging on to clevelandbrowns.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe and like today to the best podcast available. Gribs, uh, I know you spent some time with Brad Mellon and did a little bit of homework into the research going into the uniform unveiling, which has been two-plus years in the making. Uh, Anything that stood out to you? from the conversations you had with those guys. Yeah, I think generally he's just really happy feeling to get back to this kind of look. And I think he, in our conversation, it was a reflection of kind of the simplicity uh, of the entire process. I talked to a few people at at Nike last week uh, and actually with the NFL and and working in coordination with Nike. And they just, they kept coming back to how clear cut the process was because it was basically the Browns came to them with the look they wanted. They kind of made it happen and that was it. And I, I think you have to go through a lot of checkpoints in the process. So that's why it takes two years. Uh, but it really did sound like an ultra smooth process that, that gave people ultimately uh, a look that they want. And I think that as JW uh, Johnson said to me, and I, I imagine others, I mean, this was a change you don't want to be making changes every five years to your jerseys. This was a change to not make changes anymore. So this is a, this is a look that, that I think is going to be around for a long, long time. Good. They knocked it out of the park. Well done by all parties involved. That's going to wrap up the best podcast available, the final one before draft week. We've got one last best podcast available prior to the draft. And then we'll have a couple in the weeks after as we get to know the rookie class and some interviews with some of those guys. But uh, next week, only one. It'll come out before the draft. It'll be our draft special, including Andrew Gribble, Nathan Zagura, a few other big luminaries as well. We're looking forward to having you join us then. Until then, it's time to start getting a little rest. And by little, I mean rest up for about 24 hours, and then it's full on getting prepared and getting all set up for the 2020 NFL Draft. Thanks to Jeff McDaniel. Thanks to Nathan Zagura for his time. Thanks to Paul Taylor for all his coordination. Want to thank Brad Mellon, Luke Ott, and of course the great Dane Brugler. For Andrew Gribble, I'm Jason Gibbs. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening to the best podcast available.